5280 Church Podcast, because everyone needs more hope, genuine community, and a clearer picture of God's love. Hi there, and welcome into 5280 Church Podcast. 5280 Church is a startup in the Berkeley community of Denver, Colorado, and our goal is to create a community that's very open and safe, um, where you can ask your hard questions and not feel judged, where you can come together as friends and family, um, worship together, play together, and just have fun together. In our current series, What The? We are doing just that, diving into difficult questions that we might find about the Bible, about God, and finding the deeper truths. If God is good, why is there evil in the world? Can the Bible be trustworthy? Was Jesus a savior or just a good man? We have a Q&A at the end of each session, and we would invite you to interact with us there on Facebook. Ask your questions, leave a comment, give us a like, follow and share, but most of all, become a part of our community. And without further ado, we answer another question. jump into God's Word here today and continue our series, and we're going to answer the question, how can I trust my interpretation of the Bible? That's the question that we're going to be dealing with today. So as always with this series, we're going to talk a little bit, lay a biblical foundation, we'll kind of look at the different views uh, for and against uh, interpreting the Bible, and uh, and then we'll give a chance for you guys to ask uh, some key questions here at the end of the message. So Without any further ado, we're going to jump right in here and, um, and begin this conversation. The first thing that I want us to understand this morning is that God really does speak to us. We left off last week with the idea that all Scripture is God-breathed. We talk about how do we know that that's a credible claim, that God has spoken. And so we talked about unity. We talked about the history that the Bible reveals. We've talked about prophecy. It's one thing to record history. It's another thing to predict it accurately. And we talked about when you put all of those things together that the Bible really can stand some of the tests that we have within modern day science. You know, the, the you know test of uh, textual criticism. And to be able to research this information, we have all this information that we can look at and see if God has actually spoken. And so if God has spoken, then it becomes really important for us to know what he says. You know, 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 16 and 17 says this, that all scripture is breathed out by God. So this isn't man's voice, it's God speaking to human authors, asking for them to write down what he has said. Again, that's a very big, hard-to-believe claim, but when you put the unity of the message of the Bible, when you put the historical accuracy in, when you put the prophecy in its accuracy in, it becomes really overwhelming. I encourage you to catch our podcast from last week and pick that up. Because that's a very big statement. So God speaks out what he wants humanity to know. And he says that all of this scripture, all of what he said is profitable or useful for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness. In other words, becoming like God. That the man of God or woman of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. So God speaks He's taking us somewhere. He has a message that he wants us to understand. And so God is not just breathing words out there that are open and, and clueless or, or ill-informed. God has something to say, 
and they're useful words, and they have meaning for our life. We also see this in the book of Isaiah, where it says, For as the rain and the snow come down from the heaven and do not return there, but water the earth, making it bring forth and sprout, giving seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so shall my word be that goes out from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish that which I purpose and shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it. So God wants to speak to humanity. God wants them to hear his voice. That's very important because religion gets in the way and we suddenly become very dependent on other voices, don't we? We become dependent on voices like mine, or we become dependent on voices of our priests, or the Pope, or whatever religious figure that we claim or adhere to or follow. But these verses are saying that God speaks to all humanity. God wants to personally speak to people. And that means that all of us have the responsibility to say, what is God saying? What does God have to say? And so, as you well know, <laughs> that there are differing voices, right? One person says, God says this. Another person says, God says that. And you put those two things together and it feels like a huge contradiction. They're called theological discussions, arguments, debates, whatever. But they're no fun and nobody likes to take part in them, right? It's like politics. Nobody likes to talk about it. And religion is right up there because it's a very contentious argument. So there's a lot of things that people are saying that God has said that may or may not be what God has said. So how can you know? Well, I want to give you two questions to think about. There are two key questions. Here's the basics of interpreting the Bible for yourself, giving you the tools to answer the question, how can you trust your interpretation of the Bible and have some confidence? The first one is, you got to ask yourself, what does the Bible say? You read it. What is it saying? Just word for word. This is a very important question. <laughs> because if you're not reading the Bible, it's really hard to know what it says, right? You're relying on other people's opinions. The other thing is, what is meant by what is said? So I'm seeing this. What does it mean? What did God mean when he said this? The key that you must understand is that you have to seek an answer to both of these questions at the same time while you're reading the Bible. You can't just read it and say, what does the Bible say? Walk away with truth and be okay. We're going to talk about why that. You can't just say, what does the Bible mean without really knowing what it says in its entirety? You have to put those two things together always. We must always seek to answer both of these questions at the same time. So let's look at this first question, why this breaks down. What does the Bible say? Ramey, you're about two slides back. All right. So what does the Bible say? This is really important because you can make the Bible say anything you want to say. You can string verses together and say, this is what the Bible says, but it may not be what God wants it to say. Let me give you an example, Matthew 27, 5. Okay? The Bible says, so Judas threw the money into the temple and left, and then he went away and hanged himself. So this disciple Judas, who betrayed Jesus, the Son of God, for 30 pieces of silver, felt remorse, came, and he threw the money back on the temple floor and went and hanged himself. Another verse, Luke 10, verse 37b. Then Jesus said, you now go and do the same. Right? So 
if, if this is true, if this is really what God says, and you're to throw your money on the floor today, leave and go hang yourself. Jesus said. All right? So, it, you know, you understand what I'm saying. Okay, this is an extreme. I'm not advocating for this. I know suicide is a very serious issue. I'm not trying to make light of that. But what I'm trying to make light of is that there's a lot of preachers and a lot of people and a lot of believers that say that the Bible says certain things. They pull verses together. They create a narrative that may or may not be true. This one is obviously false because when you put it big, back into the bigger picture and other things that the Bible says, like the sanctity of life, that God loves and values all people, that there is always hope in hopeless situations, that God forgives even his enemies and wants people to know him, that there was even hope for Judas, then Jesus would have never have said, you should just end it all. It's a horrible, endless life for you. You know, you're done. When you put it back in context and you begin to look at it, the Bible paints a very different story. But yet Christianity is full of these verses that we like to pull out of context. You know, some other familiar ones. How many of you have ever heard somebody quote the, uh, the verse to you, Jeremiah 29, 11, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you, to give you hope in a future. Right? It's a lovely verse. But when you read it in context... It's not something I want on my coffee mug, okay? Because when you read it in context, God is saying, hey, you have rebelled against me for generations, and now it's brought you to a point where you're going to be taken captive for 70 years. You've consistently rebelled. You've made some choices that have made you now vulnerable to being taken captive and exiled from your own country, taken away as slaves for 70 years. But I want you to know that it's not all hopeless, that I have plans for you, that there is hope. There's a future. That's a very different thing, right? You know, another one that we hear a lot that's not really a verse, is kind of referencing a verse, and, and that is God will not give you more than what you can handle. That verse put in context means that God will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you can bear, but we never apply that to temptation. <laughs> we always apply it to circumstances in our life when the truth is there are things that happen in our lives that are crushing and are way more than we can handle. So it's very important for us to understand that, yes, the Bible says things, but we have to know more than what it says. Because, see, if we only look at what the Bible says without knowing its meaning, we risk making it say anything we want it to say. So how do we correct that? Make a habit of reading the Bible closely, carefully, not loosely or flippantly or carelessly. Keep your preferences in check. Read the Bible slow down and read what it says. Let the words sink in. Let them move in your life. In the day and age where all research points that Western Christians are the most biblically illiterate <laughs> at any other point in history, we ought to be really slow to quote God. And I'm talking about all of us, including myself. We need to slow down, read the Bible, let it sink in. Hebrews 4.12 puts it like this. For the word of God is living and active. It's a living, it breathes life. It creates action in our life. And it's sharper than any two-edged sword. It pierces to the division of soul and spirit. Your thoughts and intentions, right? 
of joints and marrow and discerns the thoughts and intentions of the heart. God's word has a lot to say and it's going to go right into our hearts and challenge the way we feel and the way we think and why we respond the way we do. Are you having that kind of experience when you read the Bible? The second question is, what is meant by what is said? If we only focus on this, we run into another set of challenges. So let me ask you a question here. When people have a question about anything anymore, where do they look for information? Google, right. We go to Google. As a believer, how many of you have spiritual questions and you've gone to Google and you typed in your spiritual question? How many of you have done that? Some of you are lying and you're in church. Shame on you, right? We do that, right? And, and it's the truth because who in the world has a, a concordance or a reference library of scripture in their house? Not everybody does that, right? And so we go to Google. We go where we find information. This is where we receive modern information. So not faulting it, just saying it's true. But as we all know that everything on the internet isn't always true, the other thing that we know about the internet is that it's really easy to find somebody with the same point of view that we have, right? And not just somebody, but maybe tens of thousands of people that share the same opinion we have. So does everybody having the same opinion about something make it true? No, it could mean that there are 10,000 people that are really, really wrong, right? And let's just be honest. We look at our political leanings and a whole, a whole group of us in one camp, and we say, yeah, we're right. And the other group on this camp, we're right. You split the country in half. You got millions of people. Millions of people are wrong somewhere, right? And so it's not hard to believe that everything we read on the internet isn't always true. And if we're going there to look for information, it's a good place. But we have to know that maybe, just maybe, the information I'm getting may not be true. And so we have to ask ourselves a question, what does the Bible mean? How can we know that, right? So if we attempt to discern what the Bible means without knowing what it says, we risk making it mean what we want to believe. So let me ask you a question. Most of the time when you're running into a, a, a question that would cause you to go to Google, why are you asking that question to begin with? It's usually deep enough to where you can't find spiritual rest anymore and you're trying to resolve an issue that's unresolvable in your life, right? At least for me, maybe it's not for you. Maybe you're just way more curious and open-ended than I am. I think there are people like that, not discrediting that. But for most of us, it's something that can't be resolved. We've got big questions and we're trying to find out this tension. We're trying to resolve this tension in our life between what we may have been taught and what we feel or maybe what we feel and haven't been taught. And we're trying to find a resolution. Am I right? And there's a problem in that. Because if you are looking to find peace by finding a community that shares the same point of view, all you've done is found a community that shares the same point of view. And you may or may not be right. And that's the risk. You have to read the Bible. 
You have to know what it says, and then you have to wrestle with what it means. You've got to put both of those disciplines together. Otherwise, when you're reading the internet, you, you won't know how to push back on some of the thoughts you're reading. This is why you should not rely solely on me or any other communicator or communicators to be your source of biblical knowledge. I've been wrong once. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. I've been wrong a lot, okay? And almost always incomplete. Every message that I, I preach is going to have a limitation to it. It's not going to be exhaustive. I know pastors that have claimed to be exhausted, and I've sat under their messages for an hour and a half and been exhausted, but still incomplete, because God is very big. And so understanding the meaning of the Bible means we have to put good reading practices, personal reading practices, and good interpretation practices in play at the same time. And you can come out with some great truth. And you know what's powerful about it? Is that you actually feel God speak to you. And I'm telling you, for a guy that wrestles with this for, for a living, this is what I've devoted my life to. It's awesome when you sense God speak to you. There's no other experience like it. And God wants you to have that. We see this in Romans 12 too. It says, do not be conformed to this world. In other words, if, if you don't have God's word against you, you're gonna be informed by another set of voices. Don't be conformed by this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind that by testing you may discern what is the will of God. So read and test it and play it out in scripture and see where it takes you into the heart and desire of God so that you know what is good and acceptable and complete or perfect. And so it's a really powerful verse. So what are some principles that we need to understand when we read the Bible, some good interpretation practices? The first thing that you need to know is that there are explicit things in the Bible and implicit meanings in the Bible. There are things that God directly says, love your enemies. What does that mean? Love your enemies. And in case you were wondering, you read the next verse, it says, pray for those that persecute you. To wondering how big the enemy is? Well, somebody that wants to kill you for your faith, you're supposed to be praying for them. I, that's a big deal, right? It's like, I don't want to pray for you. I'll love you, which means I'll tolerate you is what most of us say. But Jesus kind of takes it big. It's kind of explicit. Love your enemies, pray for those who persecute you. Simple, clear, very difficult. But it's clear. There are things that are a little more implied in Scripture where God speaks His truth and it has implications in our life. It's a little more open-ended. We, when we talk about things like modesty, there's a big debate, and there should be a debate, but you know the word modesty really isn't in the Bible. But some of its principles are. And modesty means more than just the way we dress. And so there's some implicit things in the Bible that God speaks to that have implications in our life. When we deal with money, there are implications. You know, when it talks about like the rich young ruler. 
He comes up. He says, man, I've nailed the, the last six commandments. I interact with people really well. Everything is awesome. God, I've kept all these commandments since I was a kid up. And there are people who are like that. They're very good, upright, moral people. They've never killed anybody. They've never stolen from anybody. haven't taken anybody's wife. They haven't done any of these things. And we'll just give them the benefit of the doubt. And then Jesus says, the one thing you lack, go sell everything that you have, give it to the poor and follow me. So in order to follow Jesus, we have to sell everything we have and become homeless, transient people? No, there's an implication here. When you put it in context, you understand it's talking about the Ten Commandments. The last six, he's got it right with people because he can control his relationships with people. What you can't control is a relationship with God, the first four commandments. You should have no other gods before me. You won't use my name in vain. You will love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. As Jesus you know, outlines those first four commandments. And he says, you lack a genuine love and desire for me because you are in your own way. Put yourself in a position where you have to lose yourself to find me. That's, that's implicit. So, you get the idea. There's also prescriptive writings and descriptive writings. This is really important, all right? So, prescriptive, you know, Things that tell us do this and these are the kind of outcomes. God says meditate on his word. That's prescriptive. We meditate on his word. We find peace. We find comfort. We find conviction. To forgive. That's prescriptive. You forgive people. Forgiveness comes your way. You receive. Right? Um, forgiveness. To love others without second thought for yourself. That's prescriptive. You know, to love the Lord your God without regard for yourself. These are prescriptive things. Do these things in life to experience life. And then there are other things that are descriptive, right? This is where the Bible says things, but maybe doesn't condone them. Slavery. God is not condoning slavery when he's talking about masters treat your slaves with respect and slaves serve your masters as if you would serve the Lord. He's acknowledging that these things exist. He's acknowledging that they're big issues that are not always resolved within culture. How do you find God in the midst of being oppressed? Which should not be there to begin with. But how do you find God even in that? Well, there's this description and then there's this implicit teaching that you see God as, as a leader and trust God as being your source of freedom. And yes, those of us that are free need to be advocating for the freedom of others. You see this in scripture. So you see how it plays out. And so there are prescriptive and, and, and descriptive writings. You know, God picking someone who had 700 wives, you know, to build his temple. Is God advocating for polygamy? He's acknowledging that it exists. And you've got to remember the bigger storyline. So what does God mean by choosing Solomon? Well, God had a very clear prophecy that he was going to bring the Messiah through a specific tribe at a specific time, through a specific bloodline, which happens to be the line of David. So it had to be one of David's sons. God had a bigger narrative, which is to reveal himself in all of the crazy, stupid, selfish, horrible decisions that happen in the world, including polygamy. So just because it's in the Bible, described in the Bible, doesn't mean God's advocating for it. 
So we need to understand that. So there are things that are clear. There are things that are implied. There are things that are prescriptive that tell us clearly what we should do and not do. And then there are things that acknowledge that they exist, yet we can still find God. The number one key comes down to this. Let the Bible be its own commentary. This is how you find the meaning of Scripture. Let the Bible be its own commentary. Not me, not John MacArthur, not Joel Osteen. I picked everybody on opposite ends. Rob Bell, we don't even know what camp he's in anymore. Not your favorite pastor. It's all commentary. And those commentaries only have worth if they line up with what God has said and with what God has meant by what is said. And it's all of our responsibility, all of our ability to be able to look intently at the word of God, to know what he says, and to discover its meaning. But ultimately, we let the Bible define itself, its context. So you read the Bible, you read a verse and it really stands out to you. Most of your Bibles have paragraphs and subdivisions. Read that subdivision. Say, okay, what's going on here? What's the context? What's the, the story? Who's speaking to whom? What's being said? Read it within the chapter. Get a bigger picture. And make sure that that first way you took that verse is suddenly falling in a, in a cohesive thought from verse one to verse whatever. And then put it within the book. Get a good study Bible. It tells you the, the intent of the book and the author and the setting so you understand what's being said, which brings us into the context of which God is speaking. So God is trying to say something. And these principles apply. And they are true. And we can know what God is saying. So if we were to bottom line it like this, our greatest error is that we can make uh, in interpreting the Bible as allowing our beliefs to shape its truth. The Bible isn't true because you believe it. We believe the Bible because it's true. It's God's truth to us. Belief follows truth. We get in real trouble when we're trying to process culture into the Bible, trying to project it into the Bible. Because as we saw, God speaks. God spoke creation into existence when it never existed. God spoke into the context and created. We see that when Jesus came to earth, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God, the message, the voice, the truth of God. God spoke in the person of Jesus. It's like, here is what I am saying in this person. I'm here. I'm revealing myself. I'm introducing myself. I'm delivering my message on my own. The word of God, you know, God is breathed out. So I'm speaking into your context. I'm speaking into your culture. I'm speaking truth into life. God speaks into our context. Our role is to listen. It really comes down to what voice we want to hear. We have two options. Acts 17, verse 11. Now these Jews were more noble than those in Thessalonica. They received the word with all eagerness, examining the scriptures daily to see if the things 
were so. In other words, Paul was teaching and people opened up their Old Testaments and they searched out the scripture and said, is this really true? Should we receive this? Or, as 2 Timothy 4, 3 through 4, we can hear God's truth this way. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but have itching ears. They will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions. And they will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. Bottom line, God speaks. Your beliefs don't make it true. Whose voice do you want to hear? Yours? Right.